God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for um, just the rock that you, that you are. Uh, just as, as Brian shared this morning, Lord, that we have Jesus, and that's literally all we need. Um, God, we thank you for redemption. Lord, as we talk about your heart for justice this morning, I pray that you would uh, just speak to us. Just speak to us as we, as we look at what justice looks like in, in Scripture, what it means for us, and, and how we live into this story, God. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, if you haven't been with us this summer, we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and we've, talking about, we've been talking about who we want to be. The assumption of this series is that we all want to w- live a wise life. To, to live a wise life is to live a skillful life to make the right decisions, to walk the right path. And, and God gives his people wisdom. And so we get to dive into that today in the book of Proverbs. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at different character traits around wisdom. What does a wise person look like? And one of those character traits that, that comes up is this idea of being a just person. Not just a person, but a just person. Uh, of someone who lives justly, who does justice, as it says in Micah, someone who is committed to justice. And we all have different ideas of what that looks like, and it's a word that's thrown out in broader culture today, but what we really want to do is distill it down in Proverbs. What is God calling us to when he calls us to live a just life? We all learn about justice probably at a young age. I don't know about you. I watched a lot of cartoons when I was a kid, and I read a lot of comic books. Anybody else? Basically, all the themes of superheroes, comic books, all of it was that that the bad guys get what they deserve, right? I mean, that was basically justice as a kid. Justice means the bad guys get what they deserve. One of the comic books I used to read, and I don't recommend reading this one, but I read The Punisher a lot (laughs) as a kid. Punisher's pretty dark, you know. It's a dark comic book series. Uh, It's about this guy, Frank Castle, whose family is killed, and he, he dedicates his life to vigilante justice. Basically, he goes around, he's wearing a Kevlar suit, and he has machine guns, and he just takes bad guys out. And that's the whole premise of the comic book series. And I probably had, you know, 30, 30 comic books of The Punisher, filling my mind with good things as a 10, 11, 12-year-old <laughs> of what justice looks like. By the way, I looked it up. I looked it up, and um, they totaled, they went through all the comics, Punisher comics, and they figured that the Punisher had killed 48,000 people. (laughs) Um, That's not the kind of justice we're going to get into today, but it's, it's still, we grow up with that, that the bad guys are supposed to get what they deserve. And what that's called, the type of justice that's called is retributive justice, retribution. The bad guys get what they deserve. Now, stable societies require ret- uh, retributive justice. Like, people pay for their crimes. Not like the Punisher, though. Not like vigilante justice. But there's something called a court of law that's really important. And uh, George Washington actually said, the administration of justice is the firmest pillar of government. Like, our government rises and falls on its ability to execute justice. And so we see this idea of retributive justice in the Bible a lot. And you see it at the beginning, in the, in the giving of the law, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, 
Like, it's, it's in there. That the, This theme of retributive justice is in there. And we practice retributive justice in different ways. I remember as a kid, um, we spent a lot of time up and down I-5 between Oregon and Washington, and I remember there was one time you get your typical guy, like, speeding, weaving in and out of traffic, and this one time he just happened to cut off my dad, and my dad is kind of an angry driver, and he cuts him off, but immediately sirens go on, and, and it pulls up, the cops get him, pull him over. It was like my dad won the lottery. <laughs> it was like, yeah, justice. That never happens. That's what he said. That never happens. I never get to see justice like that. You know, you, you see that happen, and usually you stew. You get angry. You get indignant because you've been cut off. And I just remember, I've never seen my dad more alive than in that moment. Like, ah, oh, yeah, they got him. And, uh, you know, why do we celebrate those moments? Why do they matter so much to us? Getting cut off is one thing. But, man, it points to this bigger issue is that this world is full of injustice. It's full of injustice. This world is corrupt beyond our ability to control it, beyond our ability to do anything about it, and we are desperately looking for somebody to make it right, somebody to stand up and make it right again. I don't know if you've been following, but the hit movie this summer, surprise hit, has been this Christian movie called The Sound of Freedom. Has anybody seen this? I haven't watched it, but it's, it's literally about um, people standing up to child sex traffickers, a heavy, heavy, heavy subject. And, and it's something that doesn't get talked about very much, but it is just blowing up the box office. $130 million. Um, more than Mission Impossible, if you can believe it. But it's because people are like, wow, this is going on in our world right now? And it's absolutely horrible. At the same time, I'm proud to be part of a church network that's actually doing something about that. Last year, CTK invested in this project in Belize that's providing a house of refuge to women uh, who've been trafficked. Uh, we're personally connected to Engedi Refuge, which is a local work that, that works with women who have been trafficked and coming out of that. Like, that's serious. So I just bring that up to say this. Justice is not a joke to God. Justice is not a joke to God. The world is cruel. The world is unjust. The world is full of people who take advantage of each other, that hurt each other in unspeakable ways, but justice is core to God's heart. So this is our first verse this morning. As we open up the book of Proverbs, I want to open up to uh, Proverbs 21, 15. It says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. This is talking about retributive justice. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Justice is like putting a corrupt world back together one brick at a time. One brick at a time. We live in this world with broken relationships, broken systems, that serve some at the expense of others. And acts of justice help put the world back together one brick at a time. And it says it brings terror to the hearts of evildoers. God will hold us accountable for what we've done. That's the terror. Like, oh man, I'm accountable to a just God. Proverbs 22, 22 goes on. It says, 
Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Again, retributive justice. And guess who the vulnerable have on their side? God, their defender. God defends the vulnerable. And he warns us not to use anything we have to abuse our power, to give us an advantage over someone else, whether that's, that's money, nationality, language, all of it. We are not supposed to abuse what God has given us. So the poor and the vulnerable have a strong defender. God Almighty, he's on the side of the oppressed. The Lord will take up their case, like he'll be their lawyer. He will defend. Here's another instruction from Proverbs 24. It says, These also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come to them. God cares about partiality, that we don't show favoritism based on relationship or friendship, based on ethnicity, based on uh, economics, anything. And so God's justice demands we treat people the same regardless of income, status, race, all of it, that we lay down whatever bias we may have. God is anti-corruption. God is anti-corruption, and he knows our hearts. He knows what we're de he's dealing with. He's dealing with corrupt humanity, and he knows what sways our decisions. And so Proverbs here calls out favoritism as skewing justice. So Proverbs speaks to this idea of retributive justice. Not like the, not like the punisher, but like the court of law, like a fair-minded court of law, legal justice system, and because God is just, those who oppress and hurt others will be brought to justice. And some of us, that, that might be what we think about when we think justice. We think justice is God taking care of the bad guys. What we may not think about as much is our own need for mercy. Our own need for mercy. Ourselves. What is our own standing before God? There's this story in the Old Testament that speaks to all of this, that speaks to, that speaks to a godly man committing great injustice and what happened. You may know this story. It's found in 1 Samuel 17 and 18. Um, no, it's not. It's not found there. It's found somewhere else. 2 Samuel. Uh, I think 17 and 18. My bad. Um, but no, the story of David and Bathsheba. You might remember this story. David is the king. The kings are supposed to go to war in the spring. David doesn't go. He just wants to hang out in the palace. He gets bored. He goes up to the roof of his palace. He looks down. He sees a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. The, her rooftop would have not been visible to anyone except the king. So, the, so David asks his guys to go get her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, and then David has a problem. By the way, I've heard people say, oh, she, you know, she was enticing David. No. Where's the power in this story? What would have happened if she said no to the king? Anyways, um, so, so she's pregnant. David has a problem. He brings her husband, who's fighting in the war, home from war, tries to get him to go home, 
He won't go home. He sleeps while his, his buddies are in war. He sleeps in the doorstep of the, the palace. David do, doesn't know what to do with him. He sends him back to the battlefield, arranges for his general to have him killed. He dies. David takes Bathsheba as his wife. This is all in the Bible. This is a hero in the Bible. I want you to know how, how right the Bible gets humanity. It does not celebrate how great people are. It shows the good and the bad. Um, it's one of the reasons why I trust the Bible. Because even the heroes, it, it tells these kind of stories. So anyways, later, the prophet Nathan comes to David's house. This is 2 Samuel 18, by the way. It's 12? Thank you, Karma. Appreciate it. This is a team effort right here. There's a lot of numbers going in my head. So, all right. So, 2 Samuel 12. All right. It says, uh, we're going to read verse 1 through 7. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is the mic drop moment. You are the man. Nathan tells this story about injustice that grates at David's heart. Where it gets to the point where he says, this guy deserves to die. And then Nathan turns around and says, you are the man. You deserve to die. This is what you did. You hate injustice, yet you commit injustice. You hate oppression, yet you oppress others. You're the one who's taken this precious little lamb that was so valuable and taken it for yourself. So David is quick to announce retributive justice on this on this man in this story, he doesn't realize that the man who deserves to die is him. That the man who deserves to die is him. The truth was, David, you are the man. You are the man. Sometimes we can be quick to point out other people's behavior. Sometimes we can be quick to, to focus on all the sin that's going on in the world, and we can be slow to take a mirror and look at our own hearts. What is going on right here? So before we say anything to anybody, God holds up a mirror right to our own hearts. That's who God wants us to do business with today. That's who God wants us to do business with during the week. Our own hearts. Instead of focusing on the sins of people we don't know, may or may not know, focus on the sin that's right here. You are the man that lies, lusts, steals, slanders, gossips, rages. 
Do we want to look at that? The truth is we can't bring justice to the world on our own because we are all corrupt. We're all corrupt. And Jesus made this abundantly clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is how we're supposed to address sin in the church, right? It starts here. If I see somebody else struggling, I don't go to them first. I, I, I look at myself. God, what, what am I doing? I got to deal with my own stuff before I fuss around with, with what other people are going through. I have my own holiness, my own righteousness, my own standing before God to deal with. We have our own sin to confess. And I think younger Christians, meaning they've only been a Christian for a little while, have a lot easier time confessing sin than people have been around the church for a long time. I think people have been around the church for a long time. It's like, I'm, I'm good. I've, I mean, I, I think I've settled in a good place with God. You know, he gets it. I don't need to confess. I got the church thing down. If we're in that point, like, we've, we're falling into that category of hypocrisy because there's always something God wants to work on in your own heart. We never get to graduate from the practice of confession, as humiliating and humbling as it is sometimes. So we all have this righteousness problem. We've all messed up. The Bible makes that clear. All have fallen short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death. We all deserve hell. We're all guilty. <coughs> Sorry, there's a nice dramatic cough. Um, that's why we need more than retributive justice. Retributive justice is half of the story. If everybody got what they deserved, we would all be dead. So praise God that he offers more than retributive justice. He offers restorative justice. He looks to restore. God's main interest has never been to judge the world, but to rescue the world and to rescue the people in the world. God's agenda has always been to bring restoration to a broken and unjust world, and that's good news. The good news is that we don't get what we deserve when we trust God. We don't get death. We don't get hell. That, that no more. We get life forever with him. The most famous verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, that's what it's talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus' mission was not retributive justice. It was restorative justice. It was mercy. Mercy. You are the man, you are the man who lies, cheats, steals, slanders, all of it, but Jesus came to save you, not to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to pronounce judgment on you. He came to pronounce life that you would follow him. Because God, in his justice, he could have condemned the world. He would have been right to do that. He would have been within his means, within his, his righteousness to do it. But he didn't because God loves us. The difference is love. The difference is love. So this is the truth that we stand on today. 
Receiving the mercy of Jesus frees us to extend his mercy to others. So we need to receive the mercy of Jesus for ourselves. Then we'll be in a place to extend that mercy, that restorative justice, out to others. Mercy. They talk about grace and mercy. You might have heard this before. They talk about grace and mercy in two different ways. What's the difference? So mercy is not getting what you deserve when grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good way, both positive. So we don't get the punisher God, <laughs> right? God's not the punisher. Jesus didn't come as the punisher, praise God, right? No, we get Jesus. We don't, we don't get death. We get Jesus. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and in his grace, he gives us new life. It's all the things we get in Jesus. Both are at play, although justice focuses on mercy. Mercy is, is, the, uh, is the place we find restoration. So when we realize that mercy of God, when we experience it, it humbles us, it makes us grateful, it changes our posture to everyone around us because of the forgiveness that we've experienced. We learn forgiveness so we can extend forgiveness. We learn mercy so we can proclaim God's mercy to the world. And then this is the ultimate work of restorative justice in the world. Receiving and giving mercy. Receiving and giving mercy. If God was only about retributive justice, we would be doomed, but he's not. The good news is that Jesus saves us from, from what we deserve. We are saved by his grace. We receive mercy, and then God sends us out into the world to display that mercy to others. And the cool thing about Proverbs is this is written before Jesus, shows us that restorative justice was always the plan. God was always about restoration. It was always the plan, and God wanted his people to be agents of restoration all around the world. The Hebrew word for justice is this word called mishpat, which is pretty fun to say. Mishpat. We should replace potluck with mishpat, I feel like. But um, mishpat it speaks to both retributive and restorative justice, but primarily scripture uses the word mishpat to talk about restorative. It does use it for both, but it, it uses most of it to talk about restorative justice. And so justice in Proverbs means righteousness in a social setting. Right action in a social setting. How we treat others. Do we treat others equally, fairly? Do we love others? Restorative justice, it calls us to go an extra step to restoring places in our world that are broken. Systems in our world that are broken. People in our world that are broken. It seeks to restore the rights of those who have had their rights taken away, who are vulnerable. So God's heart for the poor and vulnerable comes out again and again in this book. We're just going to look at a few verses. Proverbs 30, verse 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, and for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 19 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28, 27, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. I think that last line is the most real for me. Those who close their eyes. Like, there's injustice going on. There are people who are being mistreated. Am I going to leave my eyes open, my ears open? Am I going to listen, or am I going to close my eyes? 
close off. Because sometimes we don't want to hear the story. You know, we don't want to hear the plea. We, don't, we just want to be left alone. And I got to tell you, that's not a posture that comes from God. That's a posture that comes from our own self-protective hearts. Right? That's not God's heart. The love of God calls us to open our, our eyes and our ears and our hearts to those who are suffering. So here's my point. We are called to live justly and help restore people harmed by an unjust world. It's that simple. It's part of living a wise life. It's part of living a righteous life. To live justly and help people, help restore people who have been hurt. And that, that doesn't mean now that you can help everybody. It doesn't mean you need to sign up for every single Christian cause that comes your way. That would be unwise. Then you would need help if that was the case. But there is work you can do. And there are people that you can help. Not everybody is called to end human trafficking. Not everybody is called to adopt orphans or become an adoption advocate. Not everybody is called to fight the fight of racial injustice, like, um, like Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative down in Montgomery, Alabama, where he works with people who've been wrongly imprisoned. But we can all do something. We can all do something. We can all pray about where God is calling us, who, who we have in our, in our neighborhood, in our streets, in our city. Just pray that God would give you a heart to be on this restoration work that he's on in what that looks like in your life. I know for my wife, she works in the school district as a social-emotional teacher. And uh, that's a place where she lives out this idea of restorative justice. She works with all the kids in the school district. And she loves these kids. And they've all got stories. And I don't know any of them because of this thing called confidentiality, uh, which is good. Um, but some days are heavy for her, and other days are a joy for her because she gets to see breakthrough in these kids' lives. And Bonnie just has a unique understanding of things like childhood poverty, because that's part of her story. And so because of her experience, now she gets to extend that work that God's wired her for and called her to out to um, kids in our school district. You've got something that God has given you to bring restoration to a broken world. God's given you something. The biggest thing that you have is the love that God's put inside of you. That's the biggest thing you have to extend, is love. It's really all about relationship. It's not about how many posts I can post on Twitter, or I guess X now. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, it's not about that. It's not about how many words I can type on my keyboard. It really is about presence in the world, presence with people. It's really about love. It's really an invitation into the family of God. Because a fa the family of God is supposed to be a place where heaven is reflected. The justice of God is reflected in the people of God, in the church. And we are called to love like, like no other. We're, it, and we're called not to come to church for what we can get out of it, but to discover how God's wired us to serve the church and the world. Because you have spiritual gifts, you have physical resources, you have tangible skills, all of that can be used in, in, in God's work, in God's kingdom. And so, have you asked God recently what he's wired you for, what he's called you to? Because God doesn't end with just satisfying 
the belonging piece, being welcomed into the family, when we come into Christ, we also find our purpose, our calling, our passion. And so Proverbs makes that really clear. What, what this looks like to bring restoration. It looks like speaking up for the vulnerable. It looks like defending the rights of the needy. It looks like being generous to people who are genuinely in need. And that might not just be with money. That might be with our time, attention, and our presence. So the question for you is, how is God calling you? How is God wired you? What kind of work is God calling you to? It doesn't have to be big. In fact, I think starting off in a small relational way is the way to go. Who is God calling you to love? Okay, so I've got to mention this as we close. Um, anybody use Facebook here at all? All right, uh, so there were some comments this week. Anybody notice this? Comments online about us moving downtown. And I gotta, I gotta say, I read those comments this week. I, I probably shouldn't have. Probably should have just uh, closed out, logged out. But basically what it was, if you didn't see it, um, there was a letter in the Northern Light concerned about a church being downtown that would take away from retail space. It wasn't really that bad. It was somebody's opinion. And uh, somebody put that online, and this post literally had like 180 comments <laughs> on it. I'm like, wow, all right, this is something. And, um, but I read them. I read them. And I want, I want to let you know, like, this is my takeaway. As I'm reading comments, like, okay, I think the question in some people's minds is, what good is a church, right? What good is a church? Why would we want a church downtown, right? What good is a church for the community? How, how are we actually going to help? And, you know, some of the other questions, does that mean they're only there on Sundays? Like, what is the benefit? And I'm here to tell you that extending God's work of restoration is our job. It's why the church is so good. Because the, the work of the church is about restoring broken lives, about speaking into broken places in our community, giving people hope. So I don't want you to read those things and feel anger. I want you to read those things and feel a challenge. Like, hey, this is, this is who God's calling us to be. This is who God's calling us to be. And so that's, that's how I read it this week. We are called to work for others' good in very tangible ways. Yes, we pray, but we also get involved in things going on in the community. So, what I, and what I love, what I love is the heart of this church. Because after we announced, like, hey, we're going downtown, I had people come up to me from the church and like, hey, I'd love to offer free music lessons when we move downtown. Hey, I'd love to do stuff for students when we move downtown hey, I'd love to offer free childcare when we move downtown. Like, this is the stuff I'm talking about. It's a bummer we have to wait six months to get going, but, I mean, to get down there. But, um, but yeah, that's, I love the heart of this church. I feel like God has wired us for this kind of work. So be encouraged. So your heart might already be lit up for justice in some capacity. You might already know the work that God has called you to, and if that's you, man, today's just all about fanning that flame. Like, keep going. Keep doing the work that God has called you to do. This is also an invitation to those who are not at work in, in restoration. First, to receive the mercy of God, and then pray about how to extend that mercy out to others. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with. 
but I, I, I want you to be encouraged. But if you find out you're at a point of conviction, man, just pray. Just pray to receive the mercy of God. Just pray and ask God, hey, God, help me receive your mercy so I can extend it out to others. I'm going to pray, and, and then uh, Brian's going to come and close us in worship this morning. Jesus, Lord, I praise you, God, that you are just and you're also merciful. That, Lord, you took the punishment of all of our sin, of all of our mistakes, of all of our injustice, and you placed it on Jesus at the cross as a just punishment for our sin. Because of that, we are saved. Because of that, we are redeemed. Your blood has washed us clean. We will never understand the entire work of the cross. But I pray, God, this morning we would understand that it means mercy for us, that it means freedom for us, that we don't face a punisher, God, but we face a loving God who's done everything to restore a relationship with us, one that can be free and joyful. So, God, I pray, uh, I pray for those, Lord, who are at a point of decision. I pray, Lord, just that they would receive your mercy. And even if you just want to pray, Jesus, I receive your mercy. Lord, that they would receive it and be set free. Lord, for us in this moment, in this community, in this church, we know you have a specific work for us. We know you're calling us into the, all, the, all the corners and crannies of this community, of this city, to bring God's love, to help bring restoration. So I pray, God, for a move of your Holy Spirit through our lives, empowering our work. May, me, may we run and not grow weary, as it says in Isaiah. Um, if we are weary, may we lift our, our heads and, and our weary knees, God, and just lean into your strength, God, because you provide. So, Lord, we pray for that, God. We're excited about what you want to do, both here and in every different work that we're involved in, God, whether it's with the community assistance program, whether it's with food backpacks, whether it's in our school district, whether it's in our city, whether it's in city government, whatever it might be, God, you have your people in the place that you've called them. So I pray that you'd help us to just live out the life you're calling us to. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we're going to close in worship. If you want to stand with us, again, thank you for